Ata Maria, welcome to First Up. It's Rahina. That is Monday, the 1st of August. Call Nathan Rarity, I hope. Coming up, we'll have the latest from the games in Birmingham and an update too on the women's 2020 Euro soccer final. We'll discuss New Zealand's maritime and air borders being open for the first time since the start of the pandemic with New, with Air New Zealand's Leanne Garrity. We'll also ask what's up with those little bananas. And we bring you a concerning story about primary school students not receiving any formal education after slipping under the radar during the pandemic. We've got a hard core of students who haven't been to school most of this year. We've had to take 40 students off our roll altogether. Many of those 40 have not turned up in any other school. Ata Maria, welcome to First Up. We begin this morning in England where the women's football team are, well actually they've just got into the second half of the Euro 22 final against Germany. So the England team had scored 20 goals during the tournaments, conceding only one on their way to the final. And the Germans uh, just happen to be the most successful team in history because that's what happens when you play football. The BBC's Natalie Perks previews the much anticipated final. You know, it's a big deal when the Queen's Guard get involved. The familiar refrain of three lions has been echoing round every ground en route to Wembley. And will no doubt again for this sellout final. From lionesses of the past to the current squad, as they surveyed the pristine pitch, they took a moment to take it all in, to work out where their families will be for the defining match of their careers and the spot where they might be lifting the trophy. We'll have a 90-minute game of football to play first, but um, I think that's been my dream. That's been the dream of everybody since we were little, so I know how it felt in the garden when I was pretending when I was six, um, and I'm sure it'll feel just as good as that, yeah. Just over 100 years ago, football was deemed quite unfit for females and was banned for almost 50 years. It was only four years ago the Women's Super League went fully professional. England's women have been playing catch-up ever since. Those at the forefront of change say this tournament will always be remembered. For sure, when people look back, they're going to, in history, they're going to talk about 2022 and the Euros and, and the, the sold-out stadiums, the huge TV audiences, and, and really the month that those players became household names uh, across the country. It's difficult to overstate just how big a moment this is, not just for women's football, but for women's sport in this country. Sunday, we'll see the biggest crowd in history for a women's European final. Regardless of result for them, this is special. Every little girl now can see that women can be successful and that you can do what you really love. Um, and that makes a difference and hopefully that will change the society in a positive way. England have steamed into this final, scoring 20 goals along the way and only conceding one. But Germany are the most successful side in European history, winning eight of the last ten trophies. For them to meet at Wembley in the final is a scriptwriter's dream, the fairy tale fixture. Only one, though, will get the Hollywood ending. Mm, and uh, just having a look, it is nil all at the moment. Nil all as they're into the second half, and we'll have an update on that game from our sports desk later in the hour to bring you to uh, the result. Well, to Asia now, where the US House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi is heading on her much-anticipated visit. As yet, Taiwan doesn't feature on her itinerary, but it's a possibility of her visiting the island, which continues to be a source of much contention. 
And almost 400 people have died in Pakistan after flooding across the number of across a number of provinces, including Sindh and Balochistan. I asked our Pakistan reporter Kazvar Klasra about the floods. Well, sadly, the torrential rains have killed 375 people, including kids and women across Pakistan. And more than 50 villages have been submerged in the rainwater because four tens of thousands to move to the safer places. Uh, floods have destroyed their homes and agricultural land. And uh, uh, let me tell you that the Pakistan Armed Forces have been called by the government to help civilians, rescue teams to help civilians and the internally displaced people. And uh, as many as 30 villages have submerged in the thin province in Pakistan of the flash floods from Pakistan entered the province, taking the total number of drowned villages in Pakistan's hilly region to 50. And it is that. Uh, also, too, I see that across the border there in India, they've decided it's time to ground their entire fleet of their MiG-21 jets by 2025. These are quite old aircraft, aren't they, Kasva? Well, MiG-21 uh, used to be a great machine, but sadly it has expired now. India will ground its Soviet-era Russian fighter jets, MiG-21, by 2025 following the death of two officers in the crash, that the letters in the series of casualties involving the single-engine jet failure. Media reports have quoted Indian Air Force officials as saying that the MiG-21s have long passed their retirement but must be replaced before being grounded. Let me tell you that in 2012, then uh, India's uh, Defense Minister A.K. Antony told Parliament more than half of India's 872 MiG-21 has been lost due to pressure over the previous four decades. And it is really unfortunate for the Indian Air Force as well. And finally, um, the House of Representatives Speaker from the United States, Nancy Pelosi, has left to visit Asia. Do, do you know, is she going to Taiwan or not? Well, uh, you've rightly pointed out that the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has confirmed a visit to Asia. And according to the latest report, she will be uh, reaching in first leg of her very important trip to uh, Asia. And she will be arriving in Singapore tomorrow morning. And uh, now Pelosi has not confirmed she is going to Taiwan, but potential visit is already kicking up a potential, potential storm, as you know. There has been intense speculation that she may visit Food Island, but China has uh, uh, some repercussions, and Taiwan is claimed by China as a no, and China has won serious consequences if she goes there. And uh, uh, let me add here that no high ranking US official have ever visited Taiwan in 24 years. So that is perhaps the fact that uh, 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 the Pelosi's visit to Taiwan has sent alarming waves across Asia and also uh, in China as well. So the uh, relationship between China and the United States of America are heating up. It's uh, 13 past five here. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radity. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has revealed a proposed amendment to the country's constitution. 
which would help to enshrine the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Speaking at the weekend's Gama Festival in northeast Arnhem Land, Mr Albanese also outlined what Australians might be asked in a referendum on the matter. The new details have been heralded by some as a historic moment for the representation of Indigenous people, but some activists say they don't go far enough to address their disadvantages inflicted upon Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. The ABC's Ella Archibald-Bing. On a remote patch of land on Yongu country, history is being made. I believe the momentum is with us as never before. The government seizing that momentum to reveal the referendum question. A simple principle, a question from the heart. The phrasing of the question is likely to be central to the vote's success. Just eight out of 44 referenda in Australia have been carried. I believe this country is ready for this reform. If not now, when? The proposed changes come down to three sentences to be added to the nation's founding document. One, there shall be a body to be called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Two, that voice may make representations to Parliament and the Executive Government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And three, the Parliament shall have power to make laws with respect to the composition, functions, powers and procedures of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. That's how progress works in Indigenous affairs in this country. It's one small step after the other. Today was a really important step. But there are still plenty of challenges ahead, and the first may be winning bipartisan support. Well, I think this has been a positive step today uh, in him putting forward some words um, in terms of constitutional amendment. Um, I think the next step has to be to explain to Australians how the voice will actually work. Most crucially, the government will need to convince the Australian people, including sections of the Indigenous community who want to prioritise a treaty. There are things that I'd like to discuss with the government also, and they are things that will change people's lives, Aboriginal people's lives, before any referendum. And those who say the process won't deliver tangible change on pressing issues. Australia does not have to choose between improving people's lives and amending the Constitution. We can do both, and we have to. There's been much discussion about what an Indigenous voice might look like and how it might function. A local model here on Yongu country might provide some clues. It's called the Dillac Council and is comprised of representatives from 13 clan groups who make decisions on behalf of their communities. That model across 13 clan group leadership at a senior level has already contributed to what is possible through the voice. For the Yongu people, today brings them a small step closer to something they've been fighting for since 1963, a say in decisions that affect their people. The constitution of this country has been wrong from the very beginning. It will never be legitimate without agreement of the First Nations people. The voice of the Australian people will create a voice to Parliament. Putting words into action.
Nearly 17 past five, I'm Nathan Rarere and you are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Coming up, New Zealand's largest primary school has removed dozens of students from its role, saying they've slipped under the radar. They're blaming the pandemic. Plus, Glenn is just minutes away with news from the fruit and veggie markets, including what's up with those little bananas. they are standing in the Big one, small one, some It's the 1st of August, so no better time to update you all on the fresh fruits and vegetables uh, and the recommendations for the month, actually, for the team from 5 Plus today. With our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, he is Glenn Forsyth. Morning, Glenn. Morning, Nathan. How are you? I'm very good, sir. Very, very good. A good, enjoyable weekend of watching sport, sports stuff. Yes. Hey, um, speaking of sporty activeness, uh, let's get into activating. What should we expect on the fresh produce front this month? Yeah, well, here we are, sneaked into August, and just one more month to go, and we've crushed another winter. Five plus a day have come in this month on Coomera and fresh herbs. We have a fantastic feature of a herb grower later in August. However, today it was catching up with the mighty Lockie Wilson from Delta Coomera in Dargaville. Love our catch-ups with him, and we're going to enjoy the rest of this year with our beloved sweet potato right up until Christmas. Even though the red and orange varieties by far kick the other colours to touch, it is actually the gold one, mine also, which is his favourite. Sometimes their excessive markings can scare you off and they are a softer coomer, but don't let this stop you from buying and trying them. Lockie's favourite with the gold is with pork. He cooks up their pork chops with apples, of course, and the roast and roast gold coomer to join them at the end. They complement one, one another beautifully, he was saying. I, I love the roasted gold coomer variety texture. Chewy on the outside, marshmallow centre and deliciously sweet. There's a terrific new variety launching next season we can't wait to talk about, but in the meantime, heaps of Kuma now. Sales are slow, so growers would love some uptake from us all if possible. Even with the gold and a buttery mash with a little, just a little bit of cinnamon sprinkled in it. Try that one. That'll, that'll, that'll uh, tantalise your brain with that one. Uh, let's have a look at the green Good. leafed vegetables. Um, obviously, yep. le- lettuce quite expensive at the moment. What about bok choy and other Chinese greens? Yeah, yeah, we've got a few to feature today. Vegetables on the market seem... And we can't seem to kill silver beet. I mean, that's in good supply. We shouldn't be mean about silver beet, actually. It is great and, and a tasty piece of equipment. Young leaves can be used raw in a salad, but silver beet is usually cooked, pureed or finely chopped. It makes an excellent base for many dishes. You can use blanched leaves as a wrap, and there's some top recipes on the vegetables.co.nz website. More parsnips and leeks rolled in today, and plenty of white butter and mushrooms. Keep, out a look, keep a look out for good specials on these this week. Now, Asian vegetables you've talked about, we, we have, uh, they've been in New Zealand since the Chinese first settled here in the late 1800s, and all of these delightful specimens are grown in New Zealand. If you're a beginner, the smaller bok choy, or known as Shanghai, that's a real treat. Suitable for quick cooking methods such as steaming and stir-frying, and goes well with soy, ginger, black bean, hoisin, and oyster sauces. And finishing on the vegetable supermarket squash, which has nothing to do with buying from a supermarket, that is actually the name of its variety, but they have a hard-ribbed green or orangey skin and similar looking to a buttercup. And now they come on the scene when buttercups fade away and their flesh is orange with a sweet flavour. So if you haven't tried the supermarket squash, give them a try.
Yeah, I hit the uh, I hit the Chinese supermarket or the Asian supermarket, I should say, just off the back of Lincoln Road. I don't want to don't say its name, eh? it's like advertising. But Diana picked them up in an old um, uh, tail there, and yeah, the fruits and veggies Beautiful. there are always amazing. And I got some really good thick kikaman teriyaki soy. It's uh, teriyaki sauce, it's very good that one. Bananas. Great stuff. Now I need to talk bananas with you because I have seen bananas in the supermarket fruit section, but they're, they're little, little sort of smaller ones. What's up with that? Yeah. That's, that's right. We, we mentioned the tropical boat arrival, which of course had the bobby bananas on board as well, now ripened and available. These come from the lower end of the stem, so they are smaller and sweeter and a perfect size for the lunchbox, ensuring your little one doesn't throw half a big banana away. A, a fair few green kiwi fruit down here as well, the gold variety and shorter supply, and lots of lemons, avocados and apples like ambrosia, envy and queen. Plus angelise and cacum pears were there. Uh, the New Zealand naval oranges this year are eating superbly and have been 10 days earlier than last year. First Fresh and Gisborne report early season varieties Newhall, Na- Navalina and Fukumoto uh, will make way for Washington parent navels over the next few weeks. So we have plenty of ripper tasting oranges to come yet. Our Satsu mandarins are getting baggy now and losing flavour. The early Aussie Afora mandarins have just arrived though. These are sharper on the palate but becoming another popular mandarin in its field for this time of the year, all the same. So a few few fruits there to choose from, Nathan. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Glenn. There he is, the Minister okay. of Fruit and Veg, bringing it to you. Remember, too, the, the bok choy, very good, keeps its structure a little more, I think, it's, especially if you put it in some sort of soup. It doesn't get too wilty. It's a goodie. Sing your roll up, roll up, all a penny a Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the day of our life. We call the 1st of August. Well, let's see who's blowing out candles on the cake. Are we still doing that, or is that a bit gross after the pandemic? Do we now go, ooh, and look at those old pictures? I'm not sure. Anyway, turning 43 today, Jason Momoa. Now, he's the guy that looks like Stephen Adams, that guy. Um, that scar in his eyebrow was apparently from a fight in a bar in Hollywood in 2008 where the assailant hit him in the face with a glass. Um, they caught the assailant but yeah Jason Moore there you go he's 43 years old today happy birthday Aquaman uh, Coolio turns 59 years old today my friend Mark reckons that he played at the uh, McDonald's in Taradale as some sort of opening I still don't believe that story I still don't uh, but anyway Coolio's real name is Artis Ivy Jr and he was a former fireman before he became a rapper there you go Robert Cray turns 69 years old today otherwise he used to perform under the name Night Train Clemens I like that one let's have a look at happenings Oxygen discovered this day by Joseph Priestley um, it was uh, of course the element that composes one fifth of our air in 1936 on this day Hitler was sitting watching his Olympic Games going ha ha they're going to love this forever they released thousands of pigeons and then they fired some cannons which startled the pigeons causing them to poop all over the spectators below true story uh, and this day in 1981 MTV started in America a video killed the radio star was the first video that they played also on this day 35 years ago The Lost Boys was released in movie theatres Corey Haim Kiefer Sutherland and uh, Corey Feldman there too and in 1996 American author George R.R. R. Martin published a Game of Thrones the first instalment in his hugely popular fantasy series a song, uh, yes, a song of ice and fire, and that's what happened on the 1st of August. The best 
things in life are free But you can give them to the birds and bees I want money Joining us now from the business team is Nicholas Poynton I'm not sure if you've got anything about Coolio playing at any uh, fast takeaway food stores no, in Hawke's Bay No, Coolio, what an interesting character What an interesting career he had Yeah, You know, like one <laughs> album, I think he was the first First artist to win like hip hop album of the year or something like that. Strange guy. Uh, I think he plays like NBA halftime shows now, yeah. which is where artists In the go to fair, die. Isn't it? You know yeah, what I mean? And oh. just to think, he's probably. I wonder if he's ever thinking, man, I wish I was back on the hoses, putting <laughs> putting out fires. <laughs> <laughs> getting back on the hose, mate. Is that what they call it? And fire, they're getting back on the tools. Yeah, mate, back on the hose. Anyway, uh, let's have a go. The latest job figures out this week are likely to show a new record low unemployment rate. This yep. is good, but then I'm good, sure these people think it's bad. Yeah, it's good, but it's bad. It depends where you right. sit, where, what, how you look at it, right? So mm. our unemployment rate currently is at 3.2%. We get the latest figures for the second quarter. Uh, it's the three months into June out on Wednesday. Now, consensus forecasts is that unemployment will fall from 3.2 to about 3%, but there are some people out there, like the ANZ Bank, who think, well, actually, the labour market is so tight, we think we'll go to 2.8%, mm. and unemployment in this country has never been that low before, but I think the figure that people will probably want, will be wanting to keep an eye on is what's happening to wage, inf- wage inflation, uh, how much a wage is going up by. And encouragingly, you know, depending on how you look at these things, uh, wages are set to surge, rising to about 6%. And remember, inflation right now is about 7.3%, so encouraging to maybe see that gap narrowing. However, ANZ Bank's chief economist says higher wages, that will uh, ease the inflation squeeze for many workers. However, on the flip side, it will create more headaches for the Reserve Bank, who uh, is probably looking at figures like that if it does get to about 6% and thinking, God, we're going to have to do a lot more to help rein in inflation. Interest rates are going to have to come up further. Um, maybe the labour market is too tight at mm. this stage. So, look, one to watch out for. It's going to be the big one of the big set pieces this week on the business agenda. It is a hard sell to the public to hear. Stop, so, stop having so many of you having jobs. Yeah, stop having jobs. Bad stop for, asking for too much it's money. It's bad for business and, confidence. And, 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 and stop, <laughs> stop, stop spending so much money. Stop spending money. We I need know. to slow the economy down. We're just was, out there going, what are we supposed to do? I was out at St. Luke's over the weekend, <laughs> the mall, and I was overwhelmed by just how many people were out there. Yeah. And we just wanted to shout, slow down, you're spending too much. Look at you all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. It's the, the economist just yelling from the, from the food court. What this are you doing? Your, this is your civic duty, you know. <laughs> what you doing. Go up, tell them you won't pay for that. There we go. Nicholas Poynton, thank you very much, sir. Also, you can hear too about our banks developing new technologies for a cashless world when the business team return on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Let's go to your money markets now. Here's what your New, your new Zealand dollar is currently worth. 62.88 US cents, 89.54 Australian cents, 61.50 euro cents, 51.67 British pence, 4.24 yuan, 83.75 Japanese yen, and 3.01 Libyan dinar. Well, the Commonwealth Games have been a successful one so far uh, for New Zealand's elite athletes. We get into the medals really early. I mean, I thought the opening ceremony had barely finished. The next thing was like, good things for New Zealand, but it is Felicity Reid who joins us from Birmingham right now. Morning, Felicity. Good morning, Nathan. 
I loved the weekend. I, I didn't know what, what I loved more, whether I loved um, Lewis Kleber in the pool, whether I loved Barani Borta there in the 3,000 individual pursuit. Tell me, what, what glory have I missed out on because I haven't seen anything overnight? Update me. <laughs> well, you're right there. The pool isn't somewhere where New Zealand's used to picking up some gold medals. So Lewis's gold medal was something that we weren't expecting, and we are just about very soon going to see if he can back that up in the... 200-metre butterfly, an event that he finished in seventh at the last Commonwealth Games, but he's a strong medal prospect now. But as you as you were introing that, um, Lewis himself actually said that it felt like New Zealand was getting gold medals every five minutes, which is quite nice to hear, hear as well. And, and like you say, that uh, at the pool as well, it was um, Sophie Pascoe and Jesse Reynolds who kick-started all of that all off for us. And then Cameron Gray got that surprise bronze medal that he didn't even really expect that he was going to get, didn't show up with the right kit to get on the podium, had to get all his teammates to um, ruffle up some gear for him. And oh. also out of the velodrome, you, like you mentioned with Bryony, with her medal as well, as lots of medals coming out from out there, which isn't as unexpected. I guess that's something that New Zealand's been quite strong in, in the past. And I guess that's where she's going to be lining up alongside and in the middle stakes, Kira uh, Olmar and Alison Sant, people like that. Yeah. For Felicity, I did actually see from the cycling, I saw an image online before which looked horrible. looked like one of the cyclists had gone right up the top and into the crowd. What What's happened with the crash there? Yeah, so that was in the second qualifying for the scratch race, and New Zealand rider George Jackson, going into that final lap, he crashed in the corner with an Australian rider, and as those two riders were sort of going up the banking of the track, they took out English rider Matt Wall. And at that point, Matt Walls has gone over the barrier with his bike and into the crowd. So he's obviously Matt himself is injured, members of the crowd were injured, and medical teams are on site providing attention to him for at least 40 minutes. And they shut down the rest of that uh, qualifying session and asked people within the velodrome to please leave. Matt has been hospitalised and... I guess there's also been spectators as well who, to a lesser degree, have had to receive medical attention as well. Yeah. But that branch race will actually, the final for that, will go ahead uh, very shortly. And I guess good news for New Zealand is that George, Jack- George Jackson has been able to recover from what, and I guess it was a minor incident in his part. In his part. But yeah, Matt Walls was the Olympic champion, so for him to have been taken out of the race in such a really horrifying event, um, former Olympic cyclist Chris Coy was speaking to media over here and has mentioned that it's kind of a freak accident, but it is something that can happen and maybe cycling needs to look at ways to prevent it happening again. Yeah, it does. Cycle lanes, that'll fix it. Uh, that's what they do. Hey, um, obviously not so great for the sevens over the weekend there as well. Porsche Woman's hair, way too long. Couldn't read her name on the back of her shirt. That's uh, one thing there, and they didn't work for there. But I understand transport in general has been a bit of a, a bit of a shambles for you. Tell us about the trials and tribulations of getting about Birmingham. Well, they've built these games as being quite carbon neutral. They really want to encourage us to get onto public transport. They've because, as you're probably aware, the venues are quite spread out from the centre of Birmingham. So the swimming venue or the rugby venue, not, not in the city centre at all. So they've set up media transport or media buses, which would encourage you to, as a schedule, you know, follow it, show up at this bus stop at this time, we'll take you to this place. Only the bus drivers don't actually know where that is, how to get there, where they're going, what the route is, whether they should show up on time at all. 
So the other day, I was uh, on the first day of swimming, I was waiting outside, hoping to come out to the swimming venue. And there was a Canadian waiting with me, there was an Australian waiting me, with me, and there was a man from Uganda waiting with, with me. We waited for an, over an hour. We missed three buses in that time. So eventually the um, Canadian driver decided that he'd, Canadian um, journalist decided that he would get a driver, so he ordered a Sonova. We all piled into the back of the Mercedes and made our way out here. So it's like a bit of a bad joke. The New Zealand or the Australian, the Canadian and the Uganda all in the back of the Well, in the back of an uh, Uber. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we'll, we'll bring in uh, Barry, uh, Barry Guy from the sports department, the UI Barry. That's what you've sent Felicity Reid over to do. Well, I had the other side of the story that Felicity was managing to work on her tan oh. the whole time. Uh, she said she was waiting for buses and everything, but yes. uh, um, I think they were just blooming working on their tan over there and occasionally uh, <laughs> seeing a bit of sport. Having done that myself, of course, of course, Atlanta was possibly one of the worst for transport. I know how that is, but uh, uh, yes. Felicity, you were hoping that... Sorry, Felicity, go ahead. No, was that where um, an Italian man was trying to drive the bus for the bus driver? Uh, Yes, that happened there too. Yes, and there were a few people I remember from the Herald that got particularly upset about things in Atlanta, but uh, yeah, Um, we need uh, Felicity to... uh, perhaps um, bring some of her um, good luck to New Zealand later this morning, perhaps uh, with Lewis mm. and a couple of bronze medals in the sevens. That'd be quite nice. That would be nice. It would. <laughs> hey, thank you, Felicity. Uh, let's jump into uh, the, the big, uh, all the rest of the sports news happening in the world now with Barry. Barry, have you got an update on the um, Euro soccer final? I saw it was nil all last night. Last One nil to uh, England after uh, 80 minutes. Uh, Ella Toon has scored for England. But disappointing that this isn't on TV, of course. This is the the Women's European Championship. Wembley, England, Germany. Brings mm. back memories of 1966 um, for a few of us. And um, I think this is the uh, first time those two countries have met in a major final at Wembley uh, since then. So uh, England, um, currently in front. They were the, they're the form team so far in this competition, as I say. Yeah. It's just a bit disappointing. Uh, that we can't see. But some breaking news, Bill Russell's just died, apparently. Yes. The uh, Celtics uh, Hall the greatest. of Famer. Yep, won 11 titles, eight straight. And my Celtics uh, supporting um, uh, technician working with me at the moment, of course, reminded me that the MVP award for the NBA is um, named after Bill Russell. Is the Bill Russell Award. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. And he's hit the bit there, uh, Bill Russell, too. He, he hit that. He was the elder statesman. Oh, one all in the football, just been told. The uh, one all, it's just happened. Yeah, Bill Russell became the elder statesman of the NBA. And even, you know, it was like even the likes of Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and that, as long as you had the blessing from Bill Russell, that was yep. okay. That's when the fans went, okay, this is who they are. So he's no much beloved there as well for it. I just wanted to know, um, I saw two great sports names last week there, Barry. One of them's a nickname and one's a real name. Now, I'm pretty sure you saw the real name, but which one of these is better? The real name is the wonderfully named Indian cyclist David Beckham Elka Tochungo. Um, who we saw in the yeah. cycling, and yes, yeah. his dad was a fan of David Beckham. But I saw an MMA fighter with what I what I heard is the best nickname I think ever: Rick the Ginger with the intent to injure Pfeiffer. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Um, um, I'm just there was a wrestler. Um, <laughs> Rick, who was it? 
he he's like about seventy eight or something, but he's back training. Um, you know, <laughs> well, who are those famous ones from the Ric Flair was it? Yeah, yeah, Ric Flair. Yeah. He was still yeah. back doing. It. Is it going woo? Yeah, yeah, someone like that was. He's I don't know what he's training for, but he was back <laughs> in the ring training. So uh, I don't know whether you'd actually want to watch that or not. But, oh, he'll be um, having that. Uh, what is it? That that deer velvet, won't he? That'll be that. Yes, <laughs> and a, exactly. And a magnetic mattress. That's I bet that's what's done that. Um, I don't know what else has happened in the world of sport. Oh, uh, Max Verstappen won the F1. Lydia Ko, yes. unfortunately, slipped off uh, a little bit uh, in uh, the Scottish Open. And the Black Caps, uh, they're chasing about 306 or something to beat Scotland in an ODI, and they were doing quite well. Mark Chapman and uh, Daryl Mitchell, I think, were had put on 150 for the fourth wicket. So yes. uh, we'll be covering that, and hopefully some success. Uh, a few medals yet in the last few hours of uh, day three or four at the games. Lovely. Thank you very much, Barry. Also too hard luck yesterday for Kai Cutter France, uh, failing in his attempt to win the UFC's uh, little very lightweight bantamweight title there against Mourinho of Mexico. 22-6 from Nathan Rarity. You're with first up here on RNZ National. Yep, still one all at the moment in the football. In a moment, we're going to be joined live by New Zealand's Leanne Garrity. Is the country's borders fully open? Wow, to the world since the first time since the start of the pandemic. Also, we have a concerning story about primary school students leaving and not coming back. The professionals of the RNZ ship morning report are all set to go after six Telling us what's happening today is Mr. Corin Dan. Kia ora, Corin, how are you? Kia ora, good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody. Well, we'll try and uh, help you out with the, the flurry of gold medals that we've mm. had over the weekend in the Commonwealth Games. It's hard to keep up. So much happening. Uh, so we will check in with our reporters there. Also, what did, you make, the, of the, uh, what did you make of the live music the entire way through the bowls? I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. I don't like I music f- I felt old. sport like that. No. I was like, stop that. I mean, it's okay in the sevens, you know, in between the when, yeah. in the gaps because it's a party atmosphere sort of thing. It seems a bit, but, but I don't like when it's playing the bowls, during play. No, no. The point of the bowls is you get to hear them touching each other and the, you know, the whispering in the commentary because mm. you don't want to. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. We're going, right, we seem to be going quite well in the bowls. We'll yeah. have we'll have plenty more on that. Uh, there's some very interesting political stories too, which we're going to cover with the prime minister. This issue with the living cost payments that seem to be going to overseas uh, residents. Uh, this is uh, somewhat of an embarrassment, I would have thought, for the government uh, on as this program is rolled out. Uh, Nicola Willis certainly thinks it is from the National Party. We'll be talking to her and the Prime Minister uh, about this. Uh, we'll also talk to Simon Marks about the possibility of Nancy Pelosi popping into Taiwan during mm. her Asian uh, visit, which will be hugely controversial if she does. I don't think anyone actually knows whether she is or not. No, from yet. what we hear, I mean, it's, she's going Taiwan adjacent is about <laughs> what we've been told so far. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't give away her, her itinerary for security no. reasons, but n- Nevertheless, if she went there, it would be huge. Yes, it would. Thank you uh, very much. Corinne Dan, who's uh, up after six, of course, uh, with Morning Report. Well, for the first time since restrictions were placed on travellers from mainland China way back in February 2020, New Zealand's borders 
are now fully open to the world. So uh, since midnight, both our air and maritime borders are open to countries that need a visa in order to travel to New Zealand. So it's obviously a huge relief to our tourism operators. Uh, we're calling for it the entire way through the pandemic and many other businesses which have been without a key income stream, such as retailers who rely on cruise ships uh, delivering thousands of tourists to these shores. They've got to wait a little bit more. But joining me now is Air New Zealand's Chief Customer and Sales Officer, Leanne Garrity. Kia ora, Leanne. Marana Nathan, how are you? I'm very good. How significant is this step up? Because you have been gradually, you know, gradually opening the borders. Yeah, we have. And look, it's fantastic to finally have the borders fully open, particularly for the industry as a whole. Um, from Air New Zealand's perspective, you know, uh, with the opening of the Tasman and the non-visa waiver countries earlier in the year, um, that covered uh, a fair portion of our uh, network, actually. So, significant those Asian markets and in particular for the tourism industry of New Zealand as a whole. Okay. Have you seen much actual demand? I mean there's potential demand with it being open but are we seeing that actually turn into travellers? Absolutely. I mean we've had the strongest um, booking week of sales since COVID began back in the first week of May which is when the non uh, sorry the, the non visa waiver countries were open. So it's it's incredibly strong demand at the moment from around the world to travel into New Zealand, and conversely for Kiwis to travel out of New Zealand. So um, yeah, people are definitely confident and wanting to travel. I know from the pandemic that even way back when it seemed like we were just starting to open and, and we spoke with Greg Foreman and he said about how, you know, you've, you get the planes out there, you've got to keep them dry in the middle of the desert and then, of course, you've got to hose them out to get all the sand out and that, et cetera. And I know all the airlines are doing that. Are you near, do you have 100% of your planes back yet? Not quite. So oh, we wow. Have, <laughs> not quite. It, it is, um, yeah, quite a bit to get the aircraft back in the air. We have two of our 777-300s back up fine and in service, and we're expecting a third one back into service over the coming weeks. And then we have a plan for another um, between now and the end of the year and then another early next year. So it is a gradual process. Um, and, of course, not only do we need to get the aircraft back in the air, we need to employ the resources to actually fly the aircraft. Yeah. So there's a lot there uh, to figure out. Actually, we'll get on to your employment resources there in, in, in just a minute there. But I just wondered, um, the, the increased demand, of that, and sorry, where, where did you say the, the biggest markets of people coming in that we haven't seen, where would you expect them to come from? Uh, look, I think there will be increases from um, around the Asian port, so China, uh, Japan, etc. But mm. the thing is, they still have some restrictions going the other way, they, their own travel restrictions in place. Um, so it will just depend on the impact that those restrictions actually have. But at the moment, we're seeing incredibly strong demand from the United States and, of course, from across the Tasman. Right. What um, What is the borders fully reopening? What does that do for airfares? Look, at the moment, um, obviously, there has been uh, strong demand, as I've just talked about, and there are limited airlines flying into New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like any other business, we're also being faced with, with rising costs. So high demand, uh, less airlines flying in and increased cost means that fares are higher than what people have seen pre-COVID. However, there are still many, many um, reasonable fares and lower fares available. It just means people need to be booking further out. 
you had a different sort of fear over the weekend, a job fear, uh, at Auckland Airport, which we spoke about last week with our our business reporter, Nicholas. He was quite interested in that. Told us about it. I hear thousands uh, turned up at it over the weekend. How how did it go? Yeah, so um, really strong turnout. I believe there were uh, probably around five or 6,000 people that turned up to the jobs fair. Um, And, yeah, a really, really positive outcome. Um, We had uh, quite a significant number of people come by and visit our team that were out there working on the day. Um, So we're expecting to actually be able to put quite a number of job offers out there over the coming week. How many vacancies you got? We need around about 1,100 more employees between now and the end of the year. Uh, The majority of those are cabin crew, so probably looking for around 700 crew. Uh, But we do have roles available across the organisation, throughout our airports, in cargo and across the country, so not just in the main centres. If you're going to do cabin crew, do you need to have? Uh, do you need to be medically qualified in any way, like a, a first, I'm sure, a first aid course, right? Yeah, Would it help to have anything else? Yeah, there are, there are some requirements like that, but obviously our crew go through extensive training. Uh, so uh, a really good attitude, positive, friendly, engaging, and high level of customer service would be the other key attributes for that particular role. Yeah. Okay. Or well, we, I think we might. I think we've got a young reporter we should send out to see if he's got the right stuff um, <laughs> to uh, to find out about that. We should uh, hang on to that. Leanne, thank you very much for your time. Leanne Garrity there, who's had a, a big job to do, yeah, in New Zealand's Chief Customer and Sales Officer. Uh, there for them. Yes, gosh, thousands showing up for the job through. Like she said, still 1,100 jobs. There's free money out there. You just got to go and they, they just give it to you. You got to do some work for them, obviously, but you can do that. Well, uh, to switch things up completely, New Zealand's largest primary school has removed dozens of students from its school role, blaming the pandemic for disappearing students. Teachers at Finlayson Park School say they're at breaking point as the Omicron outbreak continues to impact learning and attendance. The Desol 1 school says just over half of its students are attending class regularly and it's been forced to remove 40 students from the school role because they've been missing for more than 20 days this year. Our reporter Leonard Powell went to the staff room to meet the teachers. Finlayson Park is New Zealand's largest primary school with 46 classes ranging from years 1 to 8 and a role just shy of 1,000 students. Principal Shirley Maihi is its heart and soul. I mean I've been teaching for 56 years um, and I have never seen anything like this before. You heard that right. 80 year old Shirley's been teaching for more than half a century. And what she's talking about is the lingering toll the pandemic is taking on her school. And sickness isn't her biggest headache either. It's student absences and students disappearing. She says an average of just 52% of students have been attending school recently, and some have stopped coming altogether. We've been working extremely hard and putting in a lot of our own resourcing to try to get students back to school. We've got a hard core of students who haven't been to school most of this year. We've had to take 40 students off our roll altogether that haven't turned up and been away more than 20 days, which is the legal time. You have to then take them off. Many of those 40 have not turned up in any other school, so that means they're out there in the community somewhere or in somebody's community but are not going to school. This teacher tells me she spends time each morning trying to track down students who haven't turned up. A lot of my students haven't returned to school. So something I don't normally do, but I've had to, like, after I take my attendance, 
to try and get them back to school and make sure you know that they because it's the education I'm worried about for my students. If they're not here, I'll be texting the families and then ringing, you know, trying to encourage them to come back to school and just follow up where they are because a lot of the students have missed two years of schooling, their schooling's been disruptive, so my main concern is more just getting their standards and their education back on track. That is my main concern as a teacher teaching in 2022. She tells me being empathetic is the key to bringing the kids back. Getting them confident to come back to school and just stressing the importance of education while at the same time, you know, maintaining their mental health. And for me in my classes, building confidence, so like say positive growth mindset, so that it's okay that they're not where they're supposed to be or that their learning is a little bit or a lot away from the expectations. Just getting them confident to be at school and then just getting them confident to be okay where they're at and know that we're just going to make the steps to get them to where they need to be because no matter what happens, children need an education, they need to be able to read and write or if not that, they need the confidence to be able to participate in you know, this changing environment. Before the pandemic, this staff room would have been bustling at lunchtime with 60 teachers, 27 teacher aides and six ho'ora support staff at Finlayson Park. But today it's three quarters empty. This teacher tells me while she misses socialising with other teachers, many stay away for fear of catching COVID. We got out of the habit of coming to the staff room, so yeah, a lot of people, they just either stay in their rooms. I don't often come up to the staff room, but I you know, still like to socialise with the team. But it's easier to stay in your room with the windows open and take your mask off. When you come up to the staff room, even though it's not mandatory, we keep our masks on unless we are eating or drinking, and that's tough. Just days into the third school term, these teachers are exhausted. Teachers are in survival mode. I know here at school they are just hanging in there, and it's hard to believe. this is. We've only been at school three days this term, and we are just dragging our feet. It's really, really hard. She says children being absent from school for extended periods is causing their learning to suffer. I think the hardest thing is to really engage the kids. Um, it's the anxiety, anxiety from the, the parents. I know initially teachers were really anxious about catching COVID. I teach new entrants. It's really hard to teach new entrants online. We tried to keep in touch with the parents. Um, I think the second wave that we had, the second lockdown, parents just didn't want to hear from us. They were trying to survive themselves and they just didn't want people interfering, I suppose, with their lives. Principal Shirley Maihi, a legend in the teaching community, says staffing shortages are overwhelming. She tells me she can't find relief teachers at all, so combines classes to keep lessons going. It's really made a person like me and others who have longevity in teaching really look at the methodologies that we have to put in place, not just to teach, but to do all of the other social aspects around engaging parents and providing for the educational programs to be absolutely operating. I mean, we've never, ever had anything like this before. And it hasn't been easy to come up with ideas. Every teacher in the staff room is under pressure. Many don't want to go on the record. They fear it will turn young teachers off the profession. But this new teacher tells me what she thinks the future should look like and offers a solution. 
well-being, just ensuring the well-being of, of staff. If we can't produce and, and deliver high-quality teaching, <coughs> then our students aren't, you know, they ain't getting any, anything that they can. Priority is ensuring the health and well-being of our staff. In a statement, the Ministry of Education's Operations and Integration leader, Sean Teddy, says the government's attendance and engagement strategy that launched last month aims to tackle a decade-long decline in school attendance and engagement. He says this will build on an $88 million attendance package already announced in the budget. That uh, was Leonard Powell there at uh, Finlayson Park School. We'd love to hear your school stories as well. Email first up at rnz.co.nz, particularly... Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, you find yourself in a better state than that school. Well, uh, Joe the Roaster has written in about Coolio's birthday. It says Coolio came to Aotearoa in 2003 to warn students about the pending meth crisis. More than just a rapper. If only we'd listen to Coolio, you're right. Doug in Cambridge is enjoying the start of the week. Uh, talking about this, the common game, says New Zealand struggling in all disciplines of rugby. Otherwise, games are excellent. Kind regards, Doug in Cambridge. And Dunstan from Hamilton says, On the payment for cost of living, Jacinda has a precedent. precedent. I've lived in New Zealand since 1987. As a citizen of the United States, I received $3,200 US in 2020 and 2021 to stimulate the American economy from the American government in three instalments. Okay, there we go. Uh, Morning Report is next with Guy on and Corin. Uh, from all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful day and uh, we will return to be back in your ears. Uh, poor, poor.